Hello and welcome to Unfolding Sound. Welcome! Hello. <laughs> good to be back with you. This is the podcast that dissects music, and uh, it is good to be with us. It is good to be with you guys. Uh, it's good to be with everyone. It is good to be with us. <laughs> Here's to being. It is uh, Wednesday, June 15th, uh, 2022, and there is a lot to talk about, definitely a lot to unpack. Uh, my name is Will System, and this is... Doug Leach. And... Adam Austin. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get this show started. So it's been a very long time since uh, we last met. I know there's uh, a lot to catch up with. There's been a lot happening in the world of uh, news and music. Uh, how's everybody been as of late? Well, it's hot right now. Yeah, it finally got hot here in uh, here in town. And it did it rather quick. I don't know about everybody else, but since we're on the blues segment this time, uh, how many of you in here have had a trip to the hospital? Uh, mo most of us. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was recently hospitalized. Even our executive producer was also uh, was also hospitalized recently. So yeah. it's been a shitty few weeks in the world of health for us. But we're still alive. We're still kicking. Still here. Still able to record. Yeah, yeah I had a nasty stomach virus. Ooh. So it was just one of those things where I had to go get a lot of fluids. People start wearing their sandals. They start breaking their toes, too. Seen a lot of that. <laughs> Got to be more careful. But, yeah, definitely being more mindful of gut health after that, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's just so important to be careful. And You know, but there's been a lot happening in the world of music as of late. We recently had the passing of Fletch from Depeche Mode. Yeah. Their keyboardist and uh, engineer, one of the architects of their music, uh, sadly passed away, which is very unfortunate. When you think of Depeche Mode, you think of their tracks, you think of those riffs, you think of the keys that are in there, you know, that was all Fletch, you know, so that was definitely very unfortunate passing. It's always the good ones that have to die. Yeah, it, it's hard to understate, like, how influential and important Depeche Mode is. They're an influence on so many genres. Exactly. Uh, anybody been to any good shows, any cool concerts as of late? I had the opportunity to see Molchot Doma, which was nice. Almost didn't get a go. It was a nice little fluke. My son, it was going to be his first concert. Mm -hmm. and he's really into bands from all over the world, especially post-punk bands. And that's his thing. So we bought tickets. And then he tells me he'd given my ticket to one of his friends. So I was not going. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I got over that. And then all of a sudden it pops up. Somebody had a ticket available. and It was scored for me. So I was very happy to go. Nice. It was a beautiful show. It was packed and sweaty i will said i was like having covid tremors going everybody's gonna get it we're all everything is good I know. so because <laughs> it was it was packed and sweaty in there and it was such a strange vibe because it's a really downbeat style of music that they play mm -hmm. but everybody was just so excited to be there you know it and, is weird because it feels like it's such an obscure band but they sold out Oh yeah, they sold out. I mean, it's a. I think it is definitely one of those crossover bands internationally. You know, they have a lot of the, their sound roots come from a lot from New Order and earlier post punk stuff like that. But they just definitely they really rocked the show, and it was really funny. What did they say? Spasibo. He said that all the time. You know, and very little English spoken, and he's a crooner. <laughs> He's just up there, you know, he's got the microphone and the hands and the They're poses. from Belarus, right? Belarus, yeah. And all the proceeds went to uh, support Ukraine and the Ukrainian conflict. That may be one reason that they were sold out, but yeah. yeah, the scalpers were getting like 80 and $100 <laughs> online for that, which was pretty crazy. 
But yes, I was very lucky to attend. Night of great happiness. <laughs> One cool show that I went to was the Frontline Assembly show at Record Bar with Rain, and uh, that was that was definitely very awesome. That's two at yes. Record Bar. And that's what I compared it to. It's like, well, Frontline Assembly is a classic industrial band that's been around for... That show didn't sell out, I don't think. Yeah. I was yeah. surprised, you know. It was on a Friday, too. I was surprised that I didn't like, see more there, people out there. There, It was a not embarrassing amount of people, which I'm always worried about when they come through town. I, I went to that show as well. But, yeah, there, there was still room. Yes. <laughs> the generation thing is, I think, probably a huge part oh, yeah. of it. The kids are getting out, you know. The yes. old folks are like, mm, we're still, we passed the reins on. But he had a really great lineup. He had Riss Fulver and he had Tim Scold on deck. So that was pretty nice. Yeah. Great performances. I wish they would have performed more than newer stuff, you know, but a lot of old yes. school hits for sure. Yeah, for calling it the Mechanical Soul Tour, they played one song off Mechanical Soul. I think they played two songs off the previous album, Wake Up the Coma. Wake Up the Coma. Yeah, they only played a couple songs off of that, and then everything else was... Well, they played a lot of kind of their, their middle-range stuff with uh, Jeremy Inkle, and then a few classic tracks and whatnot. But yeah, they didn't play a bunch of new stuff. Was the crowd enthusiastic? Yeah. If you get a small crowd, the energy was good. Everybody's hyped. It's cool. Very good. Yeah. And the uh, the opening band Choke Chain. It's always interesting. I, I did a review for uh, one of Choke Chain's albums for Region, mm-hmm. so it's always interesting whenever I get to see a band that I did a write up on live. It's not great, but that's not the point. It's the way he performs. It's always kind of screaming and it's like harsh EBM and stuff like that. It's very punk rock. It's also very repetitive. That was kind of my criticism of it. Was yeah, it, it's like it's not good, but like I said, that's not the point. <laughs> uh, Rain. It was her first tour in the United States. I believe she's from Sweden. Uh, she was really good. She looks way younger than I thought she would be, but she pulled out an excellent performance. And then yeah, for uh, Frontline Assembly, I was trying to convey how much experience was up on that stage. Okay, so Frontline Assembly has been around since like the early '80s. You got Bill Lieb, who was in Skinny Puppy when they first started. A good friend with uh, Kevin Keyes and helped influence his musical style and whatnot. Then you got Reese Fulber, who helped basically shape Fear Factory's uh, industrial sound. He, he produced, uh, he manufactured, and helped basically build the sound that they're known for at this point. His work with Conjure 1, too, is just breathtaking. Yeah, it's like the Conjure 1, Delirium. But yeah, I looked it up on uh, Discogs. Reese Fulber has... About 950 writing credits to to his name. Wow, that's pretty impressive. And then you had Scold, who, besides being in his own band way back in the day, Shotgun Messiah, he was also on KMFDM for a little bit, and then when they broke up, he joined up and did MDFMK, they did the song Anarchy, for Marilyn Manson and all of his whatever. Of course, we all know Manson. Right. Scold was basically responsible for the Golden Age of Grotesque and Eat Me, Drink Me, which are arguably two of Manson's better albums. Yeah, Scold's one of those musicians' musicians. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of talent up on that stage. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You could see the effortlessness in it or hear it. Yeah, and even my wife, who was not a fan of any of those bands, she thought it was a really good performance. The interesting thing, Reese Fulber helped out with a couple of tracks on the cyberpunk soundtrack, as well as one of the bands we're going to be talking about, the Cold Stairs, who also ended up on the Cyberpunk 2077 soundtrack. They did perform a song in there. They did contribute a song. And they are way different styles of bands. Fits the scene, then it, then it makes sense. Like, Reese Fulber is all about electronics and whatnot. Cold Stairs, uh, they are... They are a blues band, and that is our uh, theme for blues, today. not blues. Is it blues? Is it not blues? Yeah. Oh, there's so many, so much music that 
borrows from the genre. Do this? Does it shadow it? Does it fulfill its intent? Right. And what is its intent? People, yes. It's always a big discussion. The blues and people are very passionate about it. You know, that's not the blues. That ain't real. You know, what's authentic blues? And does it matter? That definitely brings us into today's reviews. So we have a lot to cover as far as music in that universe. You know, a lot of blues rock, a lot of that southern rock definitely uh, influences from blues. So you're talking about the cold stairs, and that brings us to our first album, their latest release, Heavy Shoes. So the Cold Stairs is Brian Mullins and Chris Tapp. And it's another uh, one of those new classic duos. Exactly. You know, it's like how little can you get away with and still do more? Guitarist and a drummer. They still have to do outtakes, you know, because there's a lot of riffage that is still backing. If he goes into a solo, he's still got it in the background. Obviously using a little bit of an octave pedal for sure to lower sure. that low end and stuff. Get some... Uh, Great basic clean beats, you know, more hip hop, you know, and I think that's been a recent influence in indie rock or indie blues kind of stuff is to have a danceable beat behind it, which the blues always, of course, was. But of course, I think the beats nowadays are more stripped down, cleaner, definitely bigger emphasis on a kick drum and keeping time, kind of even doing that math rock revolution between the riff and the drums. And, and I think I think Heavy together. Shoes gives you a good balance of all of those things. You yeah, know, it's, it's very, it's definitely, it's simplified. Blues rock, it's just southern rock, pretty straightforward. Yeah. This isn't their first rodeo. They've been around for a while. They've got, this what, the third or their fourth album? I think it's their fourth. Fourth album. It's their fourth release. I could take it in a couple of smaller doses. Just their song structures were so repetitive. It was like, here's your riff. Here's yeah. your beat that goes with it. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. That was kind of my take on it also, is that it, it was hard to go through the whole album because of how similar it all was. I think there was one song that broke or departed from even maybe the key signature. Everything was in the same key on the entire album, which, you know, it fits what people are craving for when they want that. That you could find this at any bike night anywhere, you know, a band <laughs> that's going to play the similar music and do it. And it rocks. It's formulaic. I will say the riffs were all good. My only complaint was you use the same riff through the whole thing. If you're going to go to the second verse, second chorus, third one, don't repeat it. It gets to be redundant, you know, yeah. maybe a good riff. I mean, those were some good counted riffs that they were pulling out, but you do it over and over again, puts people to sleep. My, my take on yep. it was the entire album was good. Nothing on it was great. Well, while you're listening to it in an individual moment, you're like, hey, this ain't bad. All right. It's nice driving beats, some good guitar lines. Good ambience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you had on the background where you weren't paying any attention to it, it would be good. But if you're paying attention to the album, it does wear on you after a while just because of how similar all the songs get to be. Earlier, there was a meme floating around that the Black Keys, why don't they just name a song with a Ford commercial? And, um, <laughs> and people, have been, and there's a real, there's a real comparison that I think would be worth doing sometime of between um, the Cold Stairs and the Black Keys and the differences between why one of them works and one of them doesn't in different ways. Although I would say the Cold Stairs is more firmly rooted in the blues than the Black Keys, which have definitely kind of spread towards a more pop genre but i, I think the the black keys are a little more varied in their sound yeah uh, they they've expanded they, a lot know, more they've been around for a while though 
Cold Stairs adds a lot of elements of, of rock and of punk as well in mm. a lot of their music, and I think that probably accounts for some of the repetitive, more monotone element of it. And they occasionally sound heavy, even if right. even if it's oh, like kind it? of the illusion of heavy, but it still like has that feel. Right, so, exactly. Sometimes. You know, kick drum. Heavy. Yeah. Those <laughs> E-string riffs. Right, they start off with heavy shoes, you know, and it's pretty much a love song, you know, getting away from love. It's a good way to start off the album. Perfect starter jumps into 40 Dead Men. classic blues song ain't gonna study war no more i mean that's a that's a gospel blues thing and it's definitely a take off of that yeah it's got a southern rock it's got a grungy bluesy slow beat to it that i thought was pretty cool it's fairly cinematic i think in some sense trying to nail that old western like here's the gunman coming in i'm like i'm gonna put these guns down and i'm giving up on fighting and killing And then he goes into other tracks that add a lot of huge elements of blues, like Hard Times, for example. He got blues-style lyrics, pretty much about how everything is going wrong. got grungy southern rock riffs it's really 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 easy listens as far as that goes i would say if they were playing at bike night i'd go see him <laughs> yeah I, I think they would make a good live band you know it would be definitely a fun live band if they were playing somewhere that'd be great and obviously they did do a dodge commercial and they've done quite a few of those kind of things and they've done a great job of filling that niche in that genre pretty positively yeah would people criticize them for not really being the blues i think one thing that i thought was odd was the record cover somebody else did the record cover for them and it's it was all... like a rick and morty artist or something like that although it doesn't yeah, look but anything it, the like whole, rick and morty like it was all like day of the dead yeah the, Muertos, the... and i thought well, are these guys Hispanic, you know? And then no, they like, look pretty white. Yeah, they're all, and so why are they all dressed up in the Day of the Dead thing, you know? And was there any symbolism in them, in the painting? There's no Latino influence in the music, so. But it was, it is interesting what you can kind of pull out of the music, as, as you were saying, Will, uh, you know, taking some grungy elements and stuff like that in there. I was playing some of it for my wife. She was getting... Rockfest vibes, which is for people <laughs> not necessarily from Kansas City, was a nice big. Yeah. Rock, yeah, a uh, rock concert that had a bunch of bands like, you know, Breaking Benjamin and Five Finger Death Punch and, you know, take your pick out of any of those. She was imagining it as one of those bands, mm-hmm. even though they are more on the blues side of things. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, so it's kind of weird what you can read into it. It's got, exactly. It all appeals to that same market, though. One song that I liked was In the Nighttime. That kind of reminded me of Creedence Clearwater's Green River. Okay. It kind of embodies the momentum of a Friday night as far as that goes, that melody that they had going. I thought it was a different change of pace. I thought it was pretty cool. And then they go into Strange Light, which is a song about a woman who's pretty much got him under control. He makes that <laughs> very, 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 very clear. Yes, 
I love the vocal the effects that carry his voice on this one. Uh, as far as vocals, uh, I thought that they did a good job in, oh, good. in making the songs hard. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to take these guys much to push the envelope where they really need right. to, to get it. They're pretty solid in there. It's just I, you feel like maybe they were just getting a little bit too processed. Do another one, do another one, do another one. Like once you solidify your sound, and that's what people come to expect of you, you either get stuck in that trap of repeating the same thing for them. Right. And they go on to remember or forget you. But at the same time, you may also lose other listeners by not expounding on it or developing your sound further, which every artist risks. And that's a hard thing to, you know, you're trying to make money. It's a hard thing well, to... That, you know, that's what I was thinking as well uh, on the money portion of it. They do license out a decent amount of their music, and honestly, it's a way to make a living as a musician. If you right. can get, if you can license out that music to something something right. like a Dodge commercial and make some money, you know, more power to right. you. I'm not going to hold it against you because not everybody <laughs> no. can make money. <laughs> what musicians are making money? Right. <laughs> you know, so, and, and there was that golden age of making a record as an artifact, as a work of art, is gone right it's all just spun off single tunes anymore it's, and yeah. selling out is the only way to make a living at this yeah, point so yeah I can't they, blame they, they found that sweet touring. spot they found that good balance there as far as that goes so i think I, I get the feeling they may just be playing to that and if you know if it works for them more power to them i'm not gonna hold it against right them. no i know we had that conversation about bands like in in, in one of the first episodes we did Ratkey. Oh, yeah, all, yeah. All, it leaves you with the wanting a little bit more out of that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, like... I think how, Radke's a lot younger than these guys, though. How <laughs> much more do you want to sound like this band or that band? How much more repetitive well, do you want to Well, I think Radke still... Every one of these songs, with the exception of one on this album, sounded the same. The riff was a little bit different. You could rearrange the numbers like it was a, a word scramble for the, each riff and each drum, but it was an interlock between the guitar and the drums, locking together with the riff, and then breaking into a chorus thing, and then going right back to the same riff, and then playing the guitar over it, doing the solos, closing the song. Every single one. Radke on their album sounded like 10 different punk bands. Yeah. It was still it was still straightforward punk rock, but right. I still felt a different influence. With these guys I wasn't going like, "Oh, there's John Lee Hooker. Oh, there's BB King. Oh, there's, you know, a billion other artists that they could have called from and they definitely have their own sound." Right. Which I think definitely borrows from some Zeppelin riffs just for the the chunk of the meat of the matter and even some 90s rock bands like helmet and stuff like that mm. were kind of doing helmet. some yeah. of those kind of things <laughs> but that you know there wasn't any there wasn't any change and there was no evolution like a led zeppelin song would start you out and you would ground <laughs> in that what was that, the song that you liked a lot uh, from this one yeah now they're all the same i mean to me i didn't have not one of them really stuck out to me at all i liked the overall sound it just became repetitive like the riffs were good but then it was just too much of the same riff. And then the sounds were good, but then it just didn't evolve. There was no evolution that I was finding in there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like you could have uh, had three songs and stripped it down, and then they could have made noise on the rest of the album, 
And then I would find that to be more intriguing or interesting. You know, we always talk about a beginning, a middle, and an end. They've done that, but in one song, not in an album. And and it may not even matter to them at this point because we're reviewing a record, but they're they're knowing that all they need is one song that fits one soundbite for one commercial, one movie, one thing, then they can cash in on it. That's cool. And I would say like almost any song on this album could be used in that way. Could be. Uh, the once production again, not, is super clean. Not you wouldn't have to do anything. That. Right. It's, yeah. It's all cinematic in a rock and roll sort of way. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm just saying, you know, there's a, there's a, like Led Zeppelin would take you somewhere. You would still be rooted in that the John Bonham, so, ba- you know, Led Zeppelin might and, be the more extreme example of that. Though it's like, yeah. well, of course they took you somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's Led Zeppelin. They, they were going somewhere too, <laughs> and they weren't sure where they were. <laughs> so I don't know that that's a fair comparison. Yeah. There's. Yeah. It was like you're, they're not getting lost here. That's for right. sure. True. You know, yeah. it's like I mean, that's that was sort of the element of jazz that made it so great it was that you were getting lost (laughs) you know it took you more places whereas previously bluegrass or things like that didn't quite do that you know it uh fuses a little bit of soul and jazz together with uh it's a game y'all talks about the rat race of life mm, yeah. kind of brings those elements That's together very, that was a very stevie ray vaughn feel for me that was the one thing that, that came out of that song i like uh, this album best when it would goes into like deep blues prosecution blues for example that's just straight up blues yeah you made me a fool in my own town That, that was definitely the most blues on this album. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the guitar lead on that was very, very, very well done, and it made it sound really, really full. It was, I thought it was definitely a pretty interesting album, for sure. Uh, one of the interesting um, comparison contrasts, least emanating from first listening to the Heavy Shoes, Cold Stairs album, and going into Willis Earl Beale, is the difference between the lyrics and the writing of this. Uh-huh. Um, whereas listening to the cold stairs i feel like i'm listening to somebody who's writing something that somebody else wrote before and of course there is the ain't gonna fight no more that we talked about and it's a little more generic it's generic so uh, you know is it real in which is a huge argument for anybody who's into the blues is the blues real because what we're talking about the blues is a real feeling right and i have a lot to say about john spencer in the end of this too because you know it's this is really is it blues is it not blues are we really talking about pain and suffering or joy on all those levels you know um yeah in the end of their last uh, couple of songs were getting kind of political you know dust in my hands sitting in prison and you're wondering is he talking about native american rights Then there's some other stuff in there that I was like, he took away God and you took away our guns and you took away this. So I was like, well, is he liberal bashing on this? So I was a little bit confused in that. Those sounded to me authentic. Like these were the things in the last two songs they were actually upset about. 
Like I feel it, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you're complaining about their girlfriends before or the wife and the lady and blah, 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 and, or prosecution blues. But then you get to somebody like Willis Earl Beale and he is is raw. It, I mean, that's, yeah, he was pretty explicit. This is something that you turned me on to because you were really into the lyrics and you had to, you had to dig them up and find them. And I read the lyrics to each one of these songs and I was I can like, only find half of them. Uh, some of it was just mentally graphic to me yeah. and shocking, which to me was gut-wrenching, which I loved about it. Okay, so before we go any further, I figured we should give a proper introduction to the album. Uh, we are doing Willis Earl Beals' Nobody Knows. It's his second album, and it's kind of an interesting one in his discography. His very first album is very lo-fi, sounds like it was recorded on a, in a bedroom on a cassette tape. Like, it was just super lo-fi. And that's how he's promoted himself, right? It used to be, because every album he's put out since, nobody knows, is way more electronic, almost new age music, like very little instrumentation other than electronics. I, I would, I, just to me, it was like, is a not a blues album until he starts singing. Yes. Uh, the the other interesting thing, and this is, I don't, it's not from him, but whoever put the album on Bandcamp wrote this about him. Basically, they put, though hailed by critics as his best record to date, the artist himself would grow to regard it as a maudlin and motley monument to his alcoholism, marital infidelity, and fragile mental state at the time. And. That can doesn't need to be disputed. No, like, that, that, that so comes through on the album. <laughs> that's, it does. That's as blues well, as it gets right there. And well, it, yeah, I think I think lyrically speaking, this guy's very explicit, and he's definitely yeah. got all the blues in there too. He's, he's his music and is honest to the. I'm at a fault like a very skilled mix of blues and soul, gospel, roadhouse, and R and B. Kind of right. brought together and, yeah. into and, this weird, twisted, and yeah. explicit little mix. But it's also like ambient and experimental and atmospheric. Yeah, he's definitely like, making a stab into the indie music scene and, you know, collaborating with a lot of other New York artists like uh, Cat Power. Cat Power, thank you. Yeah, it was in, in, in there. the most traditional song on the album. And yes. there's a video yeah. there on YouTube with her in the audience trying to get <laughs> her to sing with them. And you know there's some sparks going on there that that's just kind of that's kind of bizarre. Yeah, he got his start by just making those cassettes yep. and then leaving them places or CDs and leaving those places. Using a karaoke machine, if, if I we did stuff like that, right. or he would leave them on jukeboxes with like his name and number places, on yeah. them, and then people would listen to them. And if you called them, he would sing you a song. <laughs> and that's kind of how he got his start, which was a lot like um, uh, who's a guy with uh, Kurt Cobain, um, Daniel Johnston did that. Yeah. He was going out. Past Passing out stuff, and you know, there's definitely some mental things going on there, you know. But you know, need to express yourself one way or the other. Try doing that now. <laughs> simply, <laughs> well, everybody, you know, just simply handing out your music to every club. It's, yeah, well, it's, it seems so archaic, you know. Like, yeah, who even has a a cassette deck? You know, I mean, I know I do, but <laughs> well, apparently some people do because that's making a bit of a comeback on Bandcamp and whatnot. There, you to can do buy that. cassettes. You can and buy they, the cassettes, and they sell out. So. Yeah, I don't know. I, CDs should have been the. I mean, vinyl's great. It's definitely analog, but 
is simplicity. That's what well, we also you know, can't carry it around in your car and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a really pleasant album to listen to. Started off with Wavering Lines. Pleasant. I got the lure in solitary cool like a fool in the summertime. Death wish mine that my brown dog eyes see the wavering line. I got the lure in solitary cool. <laughs> Smooth and soothing little acapella, cool like a fool in the summertime. Yeah, he just totally belts out a song. I mean, it's just guttural blues. I mean, it may be traditional, and he sounds somewhat traditional. Yeah. But the lyricism, to me, there's a comparison between Amy Winehouse and him. Yeah. Now, if he had a producer, mm -hmm. I mean, her production was completely retro, which was, you know, it definitely worked with it. I don't know if that's where he would want to go. I definitely want to. Well, obviously not, because it's not no, where he ended It's not up. where he's doing I, it. We should say, this album came out in 2013. Oh, okay. This is not new, new. Not it's almost new to everything. But it's, he's new to everyone else now that we're introducing everyone. He is relatively unknown, and I think this album is kind of an unsung gem. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. uh, it, it is very special. I know <laughs> that the uh, algorithms kicked up other artists like him, and none of them really compared. You know. I, I had a hard time figuring out who to compare him to. I know we were talking about like comparing some of these bands to other bands, like uh, Cold Stairs. We were you know comparing a bit to the uh, the Black, Black Keys, Keys. yeah. Uh -huh. But I had to jump around a bit. I was thinking a little bit of FKA Twigs, a little bit of uh, Moses Sumney with the experimental part of it, because it was hard to capture that. But nobody really does the the soulful blues vocals like he mm -hmm. does with the amount of experimentation that he does the on this album so it's just, yeah it's crazy and like i said i mean the lyrics are, are explicit on a lot of ways when you i mean they verge on rapey at times you know he's talking about yeah like, he hanging gets, around he, the he, he, he gets what i call dress. wesley willis explicit <laughs> oh, yeah. you know and he's like he's just being honest about being a you know just a dude with a lady and his feelings about it and and his know, dick size he's not he's not being shy He's definitely no shyness. Well, um, there, there's a bit to that on Too Dry to Cry, where he talks about the nine hard inches. When you get into <laughs> it, it, I think the song is about a guy that isn't getting the girl. Right. He's looking at you know skin, is, skin magazines and stuff like that. That's the blues thing about yeah. it, you know. It's the hard on with no place to go, you know. Yeah. Kind of like, well, here I am stuck on this planet. I can't disregard my biology. Maybe <laughs> some of it is definitely about his relationship status. One of the songs it was "Girl in a Dress" and he was in a shack. Is that the one you're talking about? There was a there, there's a few like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there are. Uh, it could be that one. There's some things you know that are um, about this album that I wouldn't probably want to ever sit down and listen to it for any extended period of time. I desperately either want to be his bass player or find someone <laughs> else to put it in there so that I can have some continuity under the vocals that he's doing. Some of the 
Autotune piano was kind of kitschy a little bit, oh, I, you know. It, I, Some well, of that was good. I, I love that stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I still was looking for that beat. I needed that beat underneath them for what it was doing to give them that continuity. Just put him with the band. I, I would take John Spencer's band and take John Spencer out and put him in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. And there's even between John Spencer and him, there's a little bit of, uh, if you guys didn't remember, Screaming Jay Hawkins from back in the day. He was a performance I, I artist. Did. I actually Blues did reference player, and you know he's got that kind of single soloist act you know that he comes out and does this thing he, he i think he's intentionally trying to add an indie twist to it very much with yeah. elements of r&b as well which which is why he doesn't go full right. 180 you know blues and soul and you know yeah. that that's why he's working all those other angles you know because He'd be like, well, do you want to be another dude just going down being a blues player? Like, right. where everybody else out there is a fake. And if I started to do it just like traditionally, would anybody listen to it? I like the collab that he did with Cat Power coming that through. That's a sweet one. Yeah, and it like I said, it's like the most straightforward track on the album. Uh huh. And right. you want you want more of it. That's the way I felt like. Yeah, uh, to some extent, I I guess I liked the experimental stuff more. Or, There's one with like broken glass and. Well, and it's it, almost a spoken word thing. I mean, he's he is singing on it, but the background is completely ambient. It reminded me of Nine Inch yeah. Nails almost. See, I was pulling Saul Williams out of it. I'm dancing in the alley with rust in my soul. Facing all the dumpsters with no particular goal. The train is just a memory. The road. <laughs> it's got there that is, stream of consciousness of broken some, thoughts. Yeah. There is some of that in there, you know. Um, and there's definitely room for that injection of blues into that kind of a deal, you know. Lyrically um, speaking, he's a great poet. Oh, yeah. yeah, which is what this whole album really is. It's like hearing somebody express themselves. But I, I think the lyrics about the bicycle and the hole in the shoe. Yes. It's a million right it, there. I guess the, the the interesting antidote out of that is uh, the the lyrics on Spotify were completely wrong. <laughs> like just reading through it while listening to the song, I'm like, okay, this isn't what I thought it said. And it makes no sense. Yeah. Like it just feels like it's just random words. And it, what I think happened was either somebody was just completely misunderstanding it and not caring that it didn't right. make sense. Uh -huh. Or they put it through a computer filter that Probably. Tried, that tried to do this, the lyrics itself. But when you do understand what the lyrics are actually oh, yeah. saying, you go, this is a real person having real experiences and expressing himself without reserve. He's not making criticisms or self-judgments of whether this is right or wrong. He's just talking about, this is what's happening to me and how I feel. Right. Yeah, that that opening track, uh, uh, the wavering lines, that that one kept getting stuck in my head. Unfortunately, I can't sing it because I'm not that talented, but I want to. <laughs> but he's yeah, he's all talking about riding down the street. He's got no brakes and he's got holes in his shoes from putting his feet down on the ground. And he's and got some beer and he's got, he's some got a beer in a turkey hand, next to turkey next to, and you're just like, <laughs> that's I mean, that's a real urban rural guy. I mean, you know, he was in the army. He got discharged. He floated around a lot. He was homeless for a while. Yep. Wow. You know, and so, I mean, he's just singing. He's just digging his way out, you know, in his own way. And he's got a thing. I mean, he's 
set up of the ability to do it. You know, uh, if you look at the videos, he's got T-shirts. I don't remember what they say on them. Um, uh, well, he also goes with the name Nobody. Yeah, there's something about that on yeah. there, which is pretty good. There's there's a constant sense of longing. You know, he's definitely still looking for something mm -hmm. in this album. Searching as well. Mm -hmm. Ain't got no love. Yeah, it definitely highlights a lot of that uh, experience. Well, that's the one I, I that's the one I thought sounded like Screaming Jay Hawkins because he had a very forceful voice in that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. he, he does in a lot of it. You know, it's not a trained voice. No, but on that one in particular, he was a little more aggressive than yeah. he is on the other ones. Like yeah. he's got a strong voice, but in oh, that one, it was that just was, like it was there. punk, <laughs> for sure. I like his use of piano in this album too. That right there, that was actually uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album, Disintegrating. It had this kind of old timey but slightly out of tune piano mm -hmm. that you mentioned. And it, bass. It had an upright <laughs> bass in it, did it okay. not? Okay, I think it might. And, but everything is kind of almost kind of creepy and almost vaporwave like as far as that goes, except I've added to the ambience of it. It, then it's also got like these weird vocal samples that just kind of jump in and then later in the song it just starts looping his voice in the background but at a weird time yeah so the song is very off-putting but i love it <laughs> yeah it sounds like yeah. he's locked away I, with a I, soft I, piano in the background in a mad room i can't tell if he wants to be with the object of his affection or if he's with her i'm not exactly too sure but yeah. Again, great use of the piano on that one. Blue Escape is another track where you kind of see a really dreamy piano with cool chorus in the background. Really, really, really good collaborations here. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear more from him, see what he does. I think he needs some solid production, and he needs some solid musicians behind him willing to back him up. I don't know if he's got his own problems. You know, every once in a while you get an artist who just can't get themselves together. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to hear more. You know, and he shows us that a bass line and snap can do a lot with Nobody Knows. But shouldn't I need to tell you what the knowledge is that you're trying to pursue you can get yourself an answer without the slightest query very basic song and he wraps it up with the flow which is a dirty and dreamy r&b type of track with the, the bass kick so slow Now the 
the kind of track kind of ends with a synthesized fade out. I thought it was pretty awesome yeah. too. Yeah, the harmonies were great in that one. Definitely. Right. If I had any criticism on the album, I think it's a bit more front loaded. Like I think all the best stuff is up front, and then it kind of gets a little more plain as it goes. But even that's relative. Like mm -hmm. I think the whole thing is interesting and, and good to listen. Oh, to. everything is interesting. Yeah, it was a good <laughs> listen. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, when you don't want to hear the same thing over and over again, you put that on. <laughs> like some of my favorite Clash albums was Sandinista because it sounded like they were just making stuff up, putting it together. It's one of the great things about P Funk and George Clinton and all yeah. that other stuff. Actually, thinking about P Funk does lead me to some thoughts on John Spencer. John right. Spencer. Let's go ahead and do the introduction. John Spencer right. and the Blues Explosion is no longer the Blues Explosion. It's now John Spencer and the Hitmakers. This was um, a really interesting selection of music, too. <laughs> so it's blues as a caricature. It's like if you could get into the heart of whatever the blues is, if it was a gym or an object or some things, it's like you found it and then you encased it in a glass cage. John Spencer's doing his best to really set himself up. I would almost say the George Clinton of alt-rock, you know, hipster punk blues, you know? It's blues explosion, man, and everything is you know, characterized, you know, it's Elvis, you know, and all that. You know? Well, and they were coming out of time, like John Spencer and, and uh, Blues Explosion is very much a 90s band. Oh, yeah. They completely. were coming out around the same time as the weird stuff that Beck was doing, yeah, and you know, Chibo was, Motto, things and like that. And it hit hard, too. Yeah. Or And there's the Butthole Surfers, weirdness and yes. soundness. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you could go head-to-head -head between John Spencer and uh, Gibby Haynes, and which one's still doing something. I'm going to give it to John <laughs> Spencer right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not that we don't miss Gibby at all. We do. But yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff, it, it's comic. It's tongue-in-cheek. There's some seriousness to it. I know that this is one of Jack White's biggest influences, and I can definitely see why. Yeah, mostly because um, the sounds, the creativity in which they put into the sounds of the guitars and, and um, the noises. And it was, I mean, they've got a guy here who played drums for Sonic Youth who's now playing trash as the instrument. Yeah, literal <laughs> trash cans. Literal trash cans and things like that. And the mm -hmm. beats are super straightforward, you know, bop, 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 you know. But then the guitar sounds are just, they're screeching. The thing about it is it's still giving you the feeling of the blues. You know, when you hear that. It, it is now, weird that it comes out that way, but yes. squeezing and crunching some sort of energy out of the music by making it sound trash can. Like everything is a collision. Every note is two cars crunching together. But he's always been this way. Yeah. So I can't really say, but it is, there's a lot of stop, start, stop, starts. It's very herky-jerky. Yeah. I don't know you're listening to it. It's very fun. Yeah. And, and that's what he's going for on yeah. there. Is... Definitely indie party rock blues, you know? <laughs> you saw it, like elements, older... you know, your blues rock mixed in with elements of punk, uh, mixed in with elements of indie, mixed in with elements of downtown. Um, it's cartoony. I still think yeah. it's cartoony. I think that's you a know? good word. Can, can, you, definitely... can you make They Might Be Giants a genre? Because I don't know what to call them, but part of it reminds me of that where yeah, it's just the a randomness. Little, there is a that. Or uh, if you ever listen to Carl Stalling, who did all the Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. And uh -huh. there's, he's got a lot <laughs> of that in there. You do feel like now that it's John Spencer and the hit makers, he's definitely setting himself up as the grandfather of that, whatever that is. It starts you off know? the album with Junk Man, okay. uh -huh. <clears throat> which was the lead single. Pretty much a track about fakeness, appearances, bragging about this and that, but you're full of emptiness. <laughs> Way out into space. Gotta get down at the heart. 
appearance of greatness, but you're pretty much garbage. Ripping on rich people and tycoons. <laughs> Lyrics like, I know you're getting wise and making plans. Got a rocket ship going way out into space. Better get back down to Earth and represent. <laughs> Which leads us to the second song. Get it, gotta get it right now. And he says things like, Mick Jagger's got nothing on me. And he start bragging. And he's going off on <laughs> Elon Musk. He's going off on any ty tech tycoon yeah, that ever existed. Yeah, very punk. And you're like, well, yeah, those guys are those guys. You're John <laughs> Spencer, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's got the hubris. And it, 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 there is a lot of hubris in this album. You know, yeah, for sure. It, it definitely has a lot of swagger for as uh -huh. silly as it's, the whole thing is. It's built on swagger. There was that time however recently that everybody was back into the 70s things you know 70s themes car, yeah. you know costume deal there's a little bit of that going on and there's a little bit of parliament funkadelic in that sense going on and there's a little screaming jay going on there too with that <laughs> post of wildness and we're going to take you on this crazy ride somewhere you know i see him with a scepter you know john spencer <laughs> holding a scepter you know burning something <laughs> not to wrap it up or anything like that but uh overall the album reminded me of the sound that you got out of uh the movie scott pilgrim versus the world yeah like anytime somebody was on stage yeah that kind of sounds that's kind of the sound john spencer's right. going for here yeah i will say <laughs> it's totally hokey hokey from beginning to end and a lot, my criticism before when it was the blues explosion was like yeah it's awesome it's just if he wouldn't open his mouth you know, like John Spencer, I oh, that's just too cheeky maybe for me. You know, like I'm hearing the sounds and I always wanted to separate it. That's why I said I'd put Willis Earl and then take John Spencer out. But then there's John Spencer's mind making all this music. And it's kind of like yeah. it does fit together. What I find I always want from John Spencer is a little bit more seriousness. And he does address that. I mean, he's got a, probably getting more sociopolitical in this album than others. This was a very social before. political album as yeah. well as as well as humanistic yeah yeah uh, you know when way. you look at tracks like Wormtown, you know you got a message pretty much that you can have all the money in the world luxury yacht Spoil well, it's command an army, but when your time is up, <laughs> your time is up. Right. You know, very humanistic approach, you know, outside of your typical punk themes as well, you know, like your anarchy, you know. When push comes to shove, shove! <laughs> that was a pretty cool track, Push Comes to Shove, with an and, aggressive rock and roll right. groove to it. And I don't think there's a four-minute song on the entire album. No, they were pretty short and sweet, yeah. Yeah. like punk. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, despite the fact that there are 15 tracks, yeah. it goes by pretty fast. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So keyboards, he's got keyboards in there, um, which is kind of interesting. I'm not, I wasn't digging the guy's voice or how he was. It was set up too weird. Like, John Spencer had his megaphone voice. And then he had the other guy doing backup playing keyboard and saying other things mm -hmm. just through a regular microphone. And you're like, 
why didn't you give him a bigger sound? Or, <laughs> you know, like it was all of a sudden that voice at that tone was kind of like everything else was animated and, and he was locked in this tiny little ice cube <laughs> of something. Yeah, yeah, he got a lot more experimental in songs like Layabout Trap, for example. Mm -hmm. It's pretty jazzed up, kind of yeah. funky vibe to it, if you will. I'm underneath the moon. Wormtown had a nice psychedelic keyboard solo in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. See, we gotta have good solos in there. You gotta have segues. <laughs> you gotta expand. You can't go first chorus, first chorus, first chorus every time. That was probably my one complaint other than about, about this album is it did get a little cookie cutter as you got through it. You know, it was more of this and then that and that. In the same way that heavy shoes were, it's like, here's my sound, here's how I do it. I do this one, then do this one, and do that one. You think 15 tracks might have been a little too much? Maybe. It would have maybe. been a shorter album. Or but maybe I that's really okay. would have loved to have a Judah Bauer. I would have loved to have Judah Bauer back on this one. Because, <laughs> you know, he was the guitar player for so many of the albums. And just to have some noise expansion, okay. you know, there's nothing wrong with filler. Music in itself is psychological interior design. It's 360 degrees all the way around you and your consciousness. Right. And it's always ambient. It's the same as John Cage would say, the bird on the street, or he'd open up the doors and you hear the taxi honk. You know, it's there. Enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with having that kind of spread out a little bit. Because if you're chugging along, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, stop. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, stop. You do that three times, you got it all. I mean, you can make more of them, but ad nauseum, it always becomes until you do something different, you know, it's the journey. Well, I, I'd say despite the, the junkyard part of it and the jankiness of everything, the production on it's actually pretty clean. It's the production clean, was yeah, very, it is. very, very crisp. I mean, that's what it is. He's isolating those sounds yeah and that's what makes john spencer that whole thing is that he's isolating those sounds and if those drums sound out of tune there is nothing else around it and it <laughs> is shrink wrapped to your perfection a gloss coat on top of course you can you know like little bits of candy you can always sink your teeth into <laughs> any john spencer song as far as riffs and grunge tones and it's very very clear yeah, yeah, a lot of really neat stuff that you could sink your teeth into. Get into some rockabilly here with Get Up and Do It. Let's get up and do it. Get on the good foot. Don't sit there and cry. No way. Let's do the Popeye. The swim. The push and pull. That was just a nice make you feel good jam right there through and through. <laughs> I think Death Ray was funny because he's like, he's talking about a girl. Give me your Death Ray. Hit me with your Death Ray. Psych it to me, baby. Annihilate my feelings. Destroy my sense of time. Yeah, you know, like she's hot. And he's like starstruck, and he stars, or you know, awestruck, and she's giving him the death ray. <laughs> Good little tongue-in-cheek metaphors. Yeah, yeah it, it, that's an odd one. Um, Out of odd ones, it's an odd one. He gets serious with worst facts. You got to know your facts. Those faces. It wasn't worse. 
science your history your math respect the facts respect the facts that definitely is coming out post-electoral COVID. Yeah. Like, like do we yeah. believe in science or not and he's gonna tell everybody he's like you're gonna have to learn the facts and this is john spencer to tell you and it's all relative because if he would have put that song out in the 90s it just would have been a weird song but now it's like it's now, a, it's a it's political point, statement yes. now it's pointed <laughs> he's making a statement <laughs> For he sure. goes on through the album with rotting money i'm going where everything is free wide open opportunity it's got that dirty drum beat and it's got a metallic march into it as well any one of these are just fun could have had more or less and they so. wrap up the album with the devil's ice age Chaos is coming and we should not complain because this is what we wanted. <laughs> the state of the world. Pretty much I told you so. <laughs> I, I did find some interesting stuff and kind of a theory as to why John Spencer is doing anything anymore. Because John Spencer Blues Explosion broke up in 2016. Yeah, that was a long time ago. But then in, I believe, 2017, yeah, Baby Driver came out which featured the song Bell Bottoms, which came out like way back in 94. So it wasn't yeah. a new song. was definitely not a new song. I don't think anybody had heard it at the time. Like, very few people listened to John Spencer Blues Explosion way back in 94. If you look on Spotify, their number one song is Bell Bottoms, which has 42 million plays. The next closest one is a song called Calvin with 2 million plays. And the one song I knew from them, A Whale, which has a music video directed by Weird Al, which is the reason I knew the song, only has like 700,000. Right. Like, wow. So, yeah, between their top song and their second song, there were 40 million plays worth of difference. Yeah. yeah. And then the next year after that, John Spencer and the Hitmakers start doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's got to make the money. Yeah. And he's, you know. He's, and suddenly there's interest. Everyone and I knew in art school was listening to him. Everyone I knew in college was listening to him. So he was making waves on the underground and the creative scene easily. Mm -hmm. You know, he went to Brown University. So he's kind of yeah. locked into that whole intellectual rebellious sect between RISD that's right next door and then Brown. One of the things I found out recently that I didn't know, I'm a big Folk Implosion fan. I've never made the connection that Folk Implosion <laughs> was a riff off of Blues Explosion. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So those were some pretty interesting selections here as far as that goes, you know, again, getting into 
the blues and the blues rock world. That brings us to the, like the summary of our review. You know, the, the blues, not blues. You know, you had three bands here, and I think the one that stood out the most for me personally was Willis Earl Beal. I mm-hmm. think that uh, I, I think that it was the most gripping lyrically wise. Definitely the bluesiest. Yeah, you get your blues vocals, especially with the proper lyrics. That that just but it's like, a shoe in. But yeah. like you said, you know, it was just that element of just like wanting a little bit more. Yeah. Want no. a little bit more like of that, I, you know. I, I would have taken John Spencer out and leave him as a producer and then put him in as the other vocalist, you know, or get somebody to produce the guy or even just, hell, man, I'll play bass. <laughs> I guess, you know, a good band is going to give you a, a good amount of consistency mixed in with a good amount of variety. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and finding that balance is definitely special, you know, and when you find some project that has it, it's really, really, really awesome. I took a lot out of it because I like the experimentation and sometimes the sparseness that's in it. Like it's it, definitely sparse. Like it, it creates an atmosphere, and I, I, I was super into it. It, it was the know, most experimental of, of the, right. the three albums for sure. For sure, because yes. John Spencer is doing what John Spencer has been doing for years. It's still he's doing it, it with a keyboard now a little bit. If it was anybody else, it'd be experimental, but it's <laughs> just it's a Tuesday for him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, those are all the reviews that we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of our Blues Music Review. Yeah, thank you, guys. We hope that you will join us next time. That's folks. Adam Austin signing out. Thank you for listening. This is Doug Leach signing off. Thank you so much for listening. This is Will System, and we will see you next time. Until then, take care. Take care.